I'm Bill. Uh, <laughs> I'm Bob. I'm here with Bill. This is Bill and Bob's late night recording. Bust, bracket busting breakdown. Bill, how are you? I'm tired, but we are rolling through. Very good. Very good. Let's move on. We're going right to the Midwest. Uh, little technical thing. You're on mic too, correct? I am. All right, great. All right, so we're in the Midwest region. We have Houston as the number one seed. Uh, they did did not look like they were going to be going very far in this tournament based on their round one game um, or the first half of their game against Auburn. And yeah, they wind I mean, up in a game. This looked like a Houston team that was ready to be knocked out and didn't even want to play. And it was like the way Auburn played in that first half, you were like, this isn't even going to be a close second half. And Right out of the shoot, Houston came out in the second half, and you know credit where credits due showed why they are why they had the year they had and why they are the number one seed. They I think they ended up outscoring Auburn by twenty seven points in the second half, fifty to twenty three, if I recall correctly. And that is very much what Houston has done all season. They're playing Miami, the five seed in this region, but Houston has constantly gone on these runs. They're typically a first-half team where they kind of build a build a lead, where they go on a 10-point spurt, and then they'll be up double digits going into halftime. Um, but, yeah, they had a mammoth second half against Auburn. Um, in the, op- um, the opening round game, Houston was playing tight. They wound up winning by 11. Sasser kind of went out again with an injury in that game but he looked uh close to 100 percent there in the in the um in the game against auburn yeah what does he um, have he what does he have that's bothering him a groin is it yeah he has a groin injury yeah um but he shot the ball uh not great but he did play the uh, more minutes in the game against auburn he was their leading scorer um they go against miami a team who i think um there was a lot of uncertainty with their big man uh Coming into the tournament, he had an ankle injury, Norchad O'Meara. Um, he wound up having an incredible game in the in the uh, round of 32 against Pittsburgh. Um, oh, not not Pittsburgh. Um, against Indiana, and here they are in the Sweet 16, a team with tournament experience from last year, um, kind of a three-headed monster in the backcourt. Um, this this is going to be uh, uh, to me. Um, Houston tempo wise doesn't show it on paper, but to me this seems like it's going to be a little bit of a track meet. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm interested to see how this game plays. I would say the team that surprised me more than any other with how they played in the first two rounds of the tournament. And looking back, it was it was just a a miss on my end. Was I had two two misses that in this tournament that I wish I could have had back. Um, the, and one of them is is uh, Miami. Um, not realizing how the the sort of team they had, the coach they had, and thinking about that team last year went on a deep run into the tournament, and they played well all year in the ACC, and they did they they just fared far better than I had thought. I thought Miami could have lost to Drake in the first round, and they really, I mean, their second round game they played fantastic. So I credit to them. I, uh, you know, metrics don't necessarily love them defensively. Um, but they are a good offensive team. They're well-coached team. So it'll be interesting to see how they play against um, a Houston team that is uh, an excellent defensive team. I'm not They're, entirely sure they, they've faced a, a team that good defensively. 
No, um, actually, I would say metrics-wise, just off the top of my head, the team that stands out would be Duke. Um, I, Duke is probably a top 20 um, Ken Palm t- defensive team. Oh, the, uh, the, the the other one I had, just so you know, is I forgot that um, I didn't realize that the Connecticut-St. Mary's game was being played in Albany. So this is a home game for Connecticut. I didn't realize until I was watching it. I was like, oh, I would have taken Connecticut on so many more than I took uh, St. Mary's on. But that's a, another uh, one for another yes. day. That game ended up getting played in Albany. That was a big miss by me. I should have mentioned it on the last pod when we were talking about the West. And actually, worth mentioning in in this one was something that I guess most people would not have known. Nigel Pack, he went for over 20 against Indiana. Um, Pack actually was not, I think he's an Indiana kid who was not recruited by Indiana. So obviously a very personal matchup there, um, which... You know, I think most people wouldn't have known. He exploded for Miami in that one. Miami, very irrational confidence shooting-wise. Um, they have guys who kind of shoot in the mid-30s from three-point range, but Isaiah Wong, uh, Jordan Miller, Pack, Poplar, they'll all pull up, uh, and they'll shoot. They could be over 8, and they'll continue to jack up threes. So people point um, to 40% as, like, that's a really good three-point shooter. The number I look for more than um, – obviously, I notice 40% because that's, okay, that guy's a deadly shooter. But when you're talking about, like, large groups of guys and, and a team like Miami, the number I look for is 38%. There's something about 38% where it's basically, like, I guess it's three for three for 8, which is a decent game. If you've got multiple guys over 38% and they only have one guy slightly over 40, but they have four guys who shoot the ball over 38.5% from three and two other guys who are 35 and 31. So they have a bunch of guys who can gun it. So if some if one of them's not uh, feeling it, if it's not working, they, they have other answers. Well, that's where they're th- uh, very tough to beat is that they – they will defer to each other, and none of them are high-volume scorers in, in the fact that uh, there's only one of them who shot over 150 threes on the year. Um, so, yeah, not a you know they'll, they'll defer to each other. Um, they have five, um, four different players who average in double figures for them, uh, three of them being three of, the, three of the four guards that I had mentioned, Omir the forward being one of the – guys in double digits oh mirrors also a 10 very, rebounds a game so that they, they're going to yeah. need that rebounding against houston houston very, is an very, excellent perimeter defensive team they're also good in interior defensively and they get rebounds very well-rounded team and um yeah i just think uh as far as pace of play miami one of the faster teams left uh houston one of the slower ones um, Houston, one of the better players left in the tournament in Marcus Sasser. Uh, Jamal Sheed, also one of the, their other guards, um, was also banged up but played um, over over 32 minutes in um, the round of 32. So both of those guys seem to start to be healthy. Um, but, yeah, it's – this Sasser, is Sasser being healthy is a huge um, what if in the – like, you know, a huge factor in this game if Sasser's healthy. And or if he's if he's even healthy enough that that he's he's healthier than he will, he looked on um, Sunday because he did or on Saturday rather because he didn't look good at all on Thursday. He actually was in the game. He was grimacing all the rest. I think they played Thursday Saturday. I can't remember. But either way, the the if he's healthy, I think you advantage Houston in this game. And um, and I think I think Miami's a better coach team. But I think. Uh, I think Houston is a is the kind of a defensive team that it's very difficult for 
for teams like Miami who've played a schedule of like Duke and other other teams that maybe are a little bit softer defensively to to play against a really tough physical team. And both these teams played in the second weekend last year, both Miami and Houston. Houston uh, got knocked out by Villanova. But, yeah, I think the experience is there for these guys. I think that's, this makes it a, a primetime matchup. I do lean Houston. Um, I just think they've been – they kind of really fit the profile of um, what we see out of national champions by Ken Palm numbers and all that. And Sasser, to me, again, best player in this game. Um, he's the type of guy who um, I think with the, the extra rest now, a few more days rest, I, I'm expecting a big game out of him here um, as Miami um, – They'll throw these different guys at him, but metrically, they're not the greatest defensive of teams. Yeah. Um, and another thing for your, um, you had mentioned earlier, you saw a little bit of a track meet. Miami goes eight deep, Houston goes nine deep. So I don't think you'll be seeing um, a lot of tired guys on the floor. Yeah, that's a great point to, to play into that number as well. Bottom half of the Midwest region, we have the Xavier Musketeers versus the Texas Longhorns, the 2-3, this region being slightly more chalky as it's been the 1-2, the 3, and the 5 left. Yeah, it's the only one, basically. Um, yep. So uh, I will let you talk about Xavier a little bit. I um, did not like Xavier going into this tournament, didn't like Xavier when I thought they were going to lose <coughs> to, uh, who was it, Kennesaw State they were playing? Yeah, Kennesaw State gave yeah. them everything, everything they, they can handle. handle and then some, and um, and – and uh, I, so I, I really didn't like them that much. Maybe, you know, I think you, it's, you should re-evaluate the Big East since the Big East and the SEC are obviously, have obviously had the best um, go of it in the tournament thus far. Um, but Texas was always a super interesting team to me because you, you sometimes see things like you, you saw Kansas without Bill Self. They lost, but you do occasionally see a team where there's an interim or assistant coach who steps up to, to coach, and this guy's been with the team forever, and so it's a seamless transition. So Chris Beard, if you, you're unaware, was forced out of Texas earlier this year um, for some kind of he, – he got a, uh, some incident with his wife or something. But, um, it, but That's glossing it over. Yeah, it's glossing it over. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't that kind of podcast, um, but but Texas always had the the horses and the studs to to um, be a really great team this year. You know they they had a early season wins over Kansas. They had um, they they beaten Texas beaten a lot of really good teams. Texas played against really good teams. So my question mark was really how is the coach going to handle you know being in the tournament? And I thought the best thing that could have happened to Texas was playing that Penn state game. That was super close and, and having them come out in, in a, in a real gut check game showed a lot of gumption against a, a, a surprisingly like very resilient Penn state team. Um, a guy I'll point out on Texas. So if you didn't get it already, I like Texas to win this game, but uh, the guy who carried them on uh, Texas is a guy by the name of Dylan DeSue. He went to, I know him very well, actually, because he went to Vanderbilt for his freshman and sophomore year and then transferred to Texas, where he's from. He wanted to play for Texas for a long time. It was more of a, you know, I want to go back home kind of a thing. But so he was, his sophomore year at Vanderbilt, he averaged 15 points, 9.2 rebounds, like one block, and uh, and shot 36, 37% from three. Um, so he's always had the ability to score. He was consistently, he was the best player on Vanderbilt 
three or two years ago in 2020-2021 season after Scottie Pippen uh, Jr. He was like the number two guy on that team and would have been the number one guy the next year. Um, so he went to, to Texas, averaged 3.7 points because he was only getting 10 minutes a game um, in 21-22. And then 22-23, he's, he's now getting 20 minutes a game, but his number his minutes have increased as the season's gone on. And so... I think you saw he he was he single-handedly took over the end of that game. He was the he had probably the best performance of any individual player in the first two rounds um, with his performance in that kind of a game against Penn State with Texas down. Penn State led most of that game, most of that second half anyway, and and he was absolutely fantastic and and won it for him down the stretch, hit some big free throws, and I think if he if he reverts to sort of the more offensively aggressive player that he was for Vandy and starts to, and they, he gets the minutes that I think he has earned truth be told at this point in time. I think Texas is a really, really interesting team because I initially was thinking I'm going to have to lean Houston in this uh, region, but overall I'm actually now after watching uh, the game against Penn state and watching Houston's performance, I'm, I'm almost ambivalent, but kind of leaning uh, it's kind of leaning Texas. Yeah, I I'm with you there. I actually like Texas in this region. Um, Xavier heard there. They lost Zach Fremantle um, for the season um, earlier in Big East play. The first two games they looked fine without him, and then they kind of hit the. They had a four game stretch where they were uh, one and three, um, and then they seemed to write the. Sh- the ship uh, in the final games before they started playing really well in the Big East tournament to lose in the Big East final. They're, they have a really good one-two punch. Suli Boom is um, kind of one of the better boom or bust guards in this tournament. I touched on um, way back when in the pod how he's 42% from three-point range. He started to shoot more threes down the stretch. I don't know. Maybe that was part of their game plan. They also have a good inside-outside big man in Jack Nunji. Without Fremantle, though, Nunji's not the type of guy who wants to really bang inside. He is a shot blocker, um, but he's you know not the type of guy who is going to really bang inside. I think Texas, um, just defensively, they fit a lot of metrics for me. They have guards who could defend, and I think they have the big men who they kind of, kind of push Nunji around inside. So it really comes down to me whether Boom or Kunkel um, is shooting the three ball well here. Um, but I, Texas, to me, has just too much talent, um, and I think it's a close one against Xavier. But I do like them to take down Xavier and then, you know, um, win this region altogether. Yeah, so I think you're in the same boat as me. I favor Texas in this region. Yeah, um, I, I will say this also. Texas, from a, a talent standpoint, just to reiterate, one of the most talented teams in the entire country. And and I think they still have that Chris Beard DNA from a defensive standpoint that would really help them in, in matchups against um, teams even like Creighton or, or teams like Houston. Moving on, they're a good offensive team too, Texas. They're top twenty in both. But um, if you really, if you dig down uh, defensively, I think that'll really be a big key for them in this region. So I like Texas actually to get out of this region. 
Yeah, one last thing on Xavier. They didn't. It didn't happen in um, the second round game, but they are a team that. Um, one of the broadcasts, the, the, the call nailed it, where they at the end of the game situation, sometimes they tend to get a little uncomfortable with the ball, turnover struggles, and Texas is not the type of team um, where you want to be turning the ball over because Texas is a, turn, a high turnover percentage type team. So um, We'll move down to the West region. Uh, the number one Kansas Jayhawks were knocked, knocked off here. We have Arkansas um, out of the SEC and UConn out of the Big East. This is going to be a great matchup. I really am uh, am looking forward to this one. Um, credit to me for calling Arkansas. Um, I think they played exactly like I thought. Like you have, they have minute, they have like five minute chunks of the game where you're like, is this? How did this team make the NCAA tournament? And then they have like they had in especially against um, Kansas and in the especially in the first round where they have. 10, 15 minute stretches where it's like, like, how does anyone score against Arkansas? They are so long defensively. The only reason they're not a top five defensive team in the country is because they make a lot of dumb mistakes. And so a lot of times they'll have a lot of turnovers that on their end, and then they'll, they'll give up uh, transition points or they'll miss a shot, not crash and give up transition points. But as far as a half court defensive team, um, I think Arkansas is as good of a, of a, at stopping and completely shutting down other teams as anybody. They're, everybody on that team is so long. They can, all, they can switch on all these different screens. It's, it, it's like it, watching parts of the first round game that they played, it was like it, it almost felt like it was like how are they, are they playing on a, on a different with like a different uh, uh, speed on like a video game or something because it, they were just – swamping and all over Illinois defensively and Illinois couldn't do anything about it until Arkansas finally had some missed shots and turnovers and that's the way Illinois scored their points I thought a gutty performance against Kansas to come back as well um, no bill self so you know you get a kind of an excuse if you're Kansas but I really it was there were two particular matchups from the SEC that I thought were going to be really interesting in the second round one was Tennessee Duke I like Tennessee and the other one was Arkansas Kansas and I liked uh, you know, a, a coin toss close game. And, uh, and those both came through because they're just, those two teams are, are very difficult for teams from like the big 12 to match up against. Yeah. UConn. Um, I mean, you already kind of touched UConn on was, the, the I will say UConn super impressive Arkansas. in their win against St. Mary's. Although St. Mary's, it was winning the game when they're, uh, Third leading scorer, second best player, went out with back spasms, and they really they they just looked lost offensively after that. And and UConn hit a stretch where they just completely pulled away. Um, the the thing about UConn is the is really the size. Uh, you have Adamas Sinogo as as good of a big man in the country as there is, um, and then they have they're kind of their own one two punch with uh, Jordan Hawkins. Um, kind of like a silky smooth kind of um, uh, shooting guard. There's been some comparisons with the way it comes off screens, uh, UConn comparisons with Rip Hamilton, but um, I think Hawkins is a little bit bigger. But anyway, th- this is a team that they'll, they'll play dirty also. Um, they kind of have, that, have their do-it-all um, you know, swing man um, who likes to really just kind of get down defensively and then start the fast break for them also, Andre Jackson. 
to me, this UConn team coming into the tournament, I thought they were underseeded. Um, I thought they were going to take down Kansas. I, I as much as um, Arkansas has impressed me, UConn to me, they started the Big East slow, but the UConn team that we saw in the non-conference that dominated teams, I think they're starting to get that back now. And the St. Mary's, when they pulled away on them and it made it look like they were not as good of a defensive team as they are, but UConn, that, they go going through these. They had that scoring stretch. I don't know. That, that to me, was the sign that this UConn team, like I said, is kind of rekindling what they were in the, in the non-conference. Yeah, and, and UConn is, is a top five offensive team by the metrics and a top 15 to 20 uh, defensive team by the metrics. So they, the, the metrics love um, UConn. I think, um, I think from, a, from a defensive standpoint, Arkansas is really not that difficult team to match up with. Arkansas has some offensive uh, struggles. So I think UConn will, has, a, has a distinct advantage there. Um, but, uh, you know, I will say, like, they, they between Ricky Council and, and Nick Smith, the shooting percentages aren't there, but they don't know that because they, <laughs> they have no conscience. So yeah. you, you have, you have yeah. guys who, and you see it sometimes in the tournament, where, like, in an individual game, all they need is one of these guys to go off because their defense is so solid. Um, what kind of pace does Connecticut usually play at? Because that could be a, a factor in this game. Yeah, so temp, um, Connecticut, as much as I said, they, they will get on the break and get, get fast break points. They're, they're in the 200s. They're 213 tempo-wise. Okay, so uh, all right. So they, they like and Arkansas And Arkansas is yeah, 50. But, so. But, so one thing I will say, Arkansas is 50 because they like to get turnovers and, and score quickly. They're not an offensive team. So the tempo that, that goes fast is a defensive rebound and tempo. They want to get shots up quickly. They want to they make you move. But, if, uh, but I think Arkansas's advantage in this game, I mean, obviously Connecticut is, is probably the better team, but I think Arkansas's advantage in this game could come down to pace of play, where it's like if Connecticut decides they want to play uh, a slower pace and they're not going to run the ball and they're not going to take advantage of certain opportunities that Arkansas will give them during the game. Arkansas is going to make mistakes. They're going to turn it over. going to take terrible shots from time to time. But if Connecticut gets bogged down into a half-court set game, that's where Arkansas has a chance because I, I'm telling you, they are so long. The wingspans on the on Arkansas, I feel like everybody's got a 6'8", six, 6'9", six, wingspan, even if they're 6'3", and they have, you know, they're big size-wise. The, the thing here to me, what stands out to UConn, they're the number one rebounding offensive rebounding team in the country. Arkansas, their number on the defensive boards is in the 170s. So um, I think that's something where UConn can exploit them. Um, I think their pace of play is more kind of buoyed by the – you know they want to play in the half court because they have Sonoga in the play in the post, and then you have Klingon, a six-two freshman coming off the bench also. So you have guys who can play in the post. They're you know they're going to throw the ball inside and play inside out. But um, so I think that buoys their tempo numbers a mm-hmm. little bit. Okay. Um, let's let's go down to let's go down to the to the bottom. We have the two-three uh, UCLA versus Gonzaga. This is a rematch of the. Um, the final four game from just two years ago. 
I mean, two of the is, two of the guys who were uh, big stars in that game are are actually still here for it in uh, Hakez and uh, Timmy. I, the, so the Gonzaga game in the round of 32 was eerily similar to the round of 32 Gonzaga game from uh, last year, where Timmy basically Gonzaga was down double digits and Timmy put them on his back and played just a a. a unbelievable second half where he was almost it looked like at points in time utterly unstoppable could do what he want even if he wasn't the one scoring the offense ran entirely through him uh he even hit a three which is a very rare thing timmy's big achilles heel is free throw shooting he's not a good free throw shooter and that actually comes back to haunt gonzaga late in games because he gets a lot of rebounds and he ends up at the line he draws so many fouls i think he drew 11 or 12 fouls single-handedly in uh in the round of 32 game that it, they played. That was, and I mean, they, that was a good TCU team. I was impressed with that TCU team. Um, very impressed with that TCU team. But, t- you know, this is this is Timmy's chance. He's, he's not coming back for his um, fifth year of eligibility. He already announced that. This is his chance to have his moment in the NCAA tournament in, in, against a, a really good UCLA team. It, UCLA has... Um, a little bit of size inside, but it's not. They don't have the depth with when it comes to size inside. And so, if Timmy can get guys into foul trouble, then it, it you know things become interesting. But this is like the number one offense, the number one defense, or number two defense now maybe. It, this is like you couldn't yep. script a better matchup. You you said you took the word right out of my mouth. Um, Gonzaga, not really the defensive team that we've seen in the past, but they're the number one um, adjusted offensive team in the country. UCLA came into the tournament as the number one two, uh, number one defense. They're now at number two, but complete contrasts uh, in that regard. Um, UCLA, though, you have Hawkes, you have Tiger Campbell. Those are two guys who've been there. They're two years ago. They had that crushing loss with uh, Jalen Suggs hitting that shot. Um, they've had that experience going against Timmy. Um, th- th- I think what's get test- what gets tested here is, um, you know, UCLA came in, banged up a little bit. You have to think that Bone is going to cover him in the post. But as we saw with Timmy, he was getting double double and triple teamed and he was That's still the thing. getting he the points. He leads Gonzaga in points in rebounds and in assists. Quietly leads the leads the team in assists as well. And that's because he can he gets the ball in the post or even if he gets it to the top of the key, he uses he has a great feel for where guys are on him on behind him. So he gets the ball in the post and he knows what shoulder the guys on. So he has great little nifty spin moves inside to finish but he also can feel double teams and when he feels double teams he's the best passer of any big man in the country um i think if he actually if he goes to the pros that'll be you know he's got to improve his jump shot but i think his ability to pass will be what sort of sets him apart from um what would otherwise not be able to be like it would not be a pro career he might be able to be a journeyman for a little while because he's he's so skilled offensively um the gonzaga has the three-point shooters to compliment him. To me, it's like if Timmy gets um, Bona into foul trouble, where does UCLA go to cover him after that? Because it's all UCLA is all cards. Timmy, Timmy could have a monster game, and he knows where to post up. It's UCLA, I think, is the better team here, but. Um, 
but Styles make fights, and I think Gonzaga has a has something that UCLA has not faced this year in Timmy. Yeah, so that's that's exactly just to kind of go back to one of your points. I think this really will, <laughs> this game comes down to does somebody does somebody wind up in foul trouble? Um, UCLA wants to slow the ball game the the game down. They're going to go to the Hawkeyes in the, in the half court. They're very comfortable there. We're also seeing Amari Bailey, a freshman uh, guard, get very comfortable now uh, with Jalen Clark out. He's starting to do some scoring uh, for UCLA. So their scoring is becoming a little bit more diversified than than we're used to. It's not just Hawkeyes and Campbell. Bailey's coming up as their third scorer. But if Timmy goes down. Maybe Gonzaga. Oh yeah, I, I think that's a hundred percent. But Timmy, Timmy does a pretty good I job think, keeping himself out of foul trouble. Too bad. The only thing I will say though is, if you end up in a situation where where Bona gets into foul trouble, which is what I think will happen. Bona's young. Bona's young, Marcus. and he he likes to block shots. And Timmy has just a a, a filled trick bag of of fakes and up and unders and and. And ability to to draw fouls, like he, he he's phenomenal at getting up the opposing big man into foul trouble. So I'm expecting there to be at least a couple points in the game where Bonus is going to be sitting on the bench because of foul trouble. Now, that also works two ways because Timmy is not a fantastic perimeter defender by any means. So if it'll be interesting to see how UCLA responds, they have enough guys, they have the shooters that they could actually go out there with a lineup of basically five guards with some size and Hawkeyes and try to stress the floor and make it uncomfortable for Timmy. And I think that would be what they would try to do, but it's, it's an interesting thing because it's not something they would normally try to do. They're not an offensive team. They base their, their, you know, they go like to go through Hawkeyes offensively and then, and really the team is fueled and, and defined by how they play defense. I think, uh, What'll be interesting about this game is is will the will the styles change at all? So and and one last thing I'll add is um, Timmy's not gonna be able to do it alone. A hundred like you know it's you, they're Gonzaga if they have any chance of winning this game against a, a super talented UCLA team that's fantastic defensively. Strother. Watson and Bolton all have to show up um, offensively. Ma, uh, Malachi Smith, also capable of hitting um, a lot of threes. He shot a great percentage this year, but Strother, I think, would be the guy that, that you look at and say he needs to have a big game. Um, what, uh, uh, final uh, final point. Um, as, I was, um, as I was watching the Gonzaga game, um, Anton Watson, who is a big guy for Gonzaga. doesn't, you know, usually all the points he scores are layups and everything else. He was a huge factor in that game defensively and, um, and offensively rebounding and, and, uh, and giving Timmy some time here and there off. Um, Ben Gregg, last thing, Ben Gregg, um, also off the bench gets limited minutes, but can really shoot the ball. He's like a, a super high recruit who will be a starter for Gonzaga next year. If he doesn't transfer out, He'll he'll step right into a uh, into a role where he's going to be a starter and probably play 30 minutes and and I would say he's capable of scoring 20 points in any game. He just doesn't get the playing time, frankly. Now, 
Yeah, this game, uh, just to kind of touch on a different point, it's in Las Vegas, two West Coast teams. You have to think that both fan bases are going to travel and really pack out this game as it's, like I said, like we said earlier, it's the Final Four rematch from two years ago. Um, also, so the, uh, also the rematch of the, uh, it's really the third part to a trilogy that began with uh, Adam Morrison collapsed and crying on the, uh, on the hardwood in 2006. Oh, those that these. was people forget that was UCLA who came back and beat uh, and beat Adam Morrison to the to the beautiful call of uh, Gus Johnson. Although I th- imagine no one playing in this game probably even remembers that one. No, <laughs> and uh, Mick Cronin was probably uh, at the horse track on that one. Mark Few was still at Gonzaga though. Yeah, so. but they just like every time UCLA and Gonzaga get together in the NCAA tournament, it, they play a great game. So. Oh yeah, I think that is definitely to be expected um, here. I, I there's this there's part of there's part of me of where the steadiness of Tiger Campbell is is the difference maker in this one. When I watched him go to the line at the end of the uh, end of the game in a clutch situation where he had to make free throws, and I watched him walk to the line, eighty eight percent free throw shooter, and I, I mean it was he was as calm relaxed and confident as you could possibly see and then just went bang bang knocked them both down yeah so i mean just three seniors uh they were all um here in this game uh Hawkes, campbell timmy man this is as good of a game as you could get in the ncaa tournament and it's the sweet six team who do you like coming out of the uh the west region here oh man it's brutal to brutal to say because i think all four teams. I would not be sh- surprised if any of the four teams came out of this uh, region. Arkansas is a terrible matchup for Gonzaga. If Gonzaga, if Arkansas was to win and then play Gonzaga in the Elite Eight, I might take Arkansas. But if, but you know, by that same stretch, UCLA is a bad matchup for Connecticut and a bad matchup for other teams. I, it's it's super difficult for me to pick one, but I'm I would I think I'm going to go with UCLA just because I think they're the best defensive team and um i think Hawkes is the best or second best player in the region yeah timmy so being the other one i think to me I, when i had mentioned it earlier with uconn where they came into the big east place like very down um after starting they Started this season really well. Big East play, they started very slowly, and they wound up as the fourth seed in the Big East tournament. So the fact that they didn't have a Big East um, regular season title, no Big East um, tournament title as they um, had a tough game against um, Marquette in the Big East semis, I almost feel like that's where this team is finding their motivation from and that extra gear. I, I think a play in the half court, they have guys like Jackson who kind of do the dirty work for them. I've liked this UK, like I said, I like this UConn team coming in. I could, you could very well see any of these teams advance, but I, I'm leaning UConn here um, just because, because just how good they are in the half court and they just have so much size that they could overwhelm teams on the, on the offensive glass, which is what they do. Um, and they've definitely fit the part because Sonoga has looked uh, unstoppable again at times he didn't but back to kind of where he's been where people expected him to be he has been in the tournament he's you know he's been that unstoppable force very much similar to how Timmy has been Timmy just uh, went to a different level in the tournament so far yeah he was fantastic 27 points or 28 points he's also it was uh 
one of like five players who has uh, nine 20 point games in the NCAA tournament. So he comes to play in the big games. And I think he, he's fully aware of the fact that, uh, that this is his, uh, that, you know, this is his chance. This is his last moment. He's probably not going to have a big, long pro career. Also, I would love to see another interview with Andy Katz, uh, post game, because I don't know if you remember last year when Timmy swore, he did the exact same thing. He dropped an F bomb and almost right out of the shoot talking to Andy Katz in the interview post game. Would would like to see him uh, get that streak to three, so I'll be rooting for Gonzaga. But I think UCLA is going to be the uh, the team that leaves this region. Uh, and part of me, just to kind of further this point, the, the West Midwest that Final Four game, uh, assuming Houston uh, or Texas advances, I, uh, it's going to be an incredible, incredible Final Four game. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't I think I don't think you could go wrong with the, anybody coming out of this West region, and like I, th- I think Houston and Texas are two national title contenders coming out of that top half in this bracket. So, Bill, that concludes this uh, Sweet Sixteen. Um, it's broken up into two parts. Uh, they'll meet Mark South, and then the East and Midwest West on this one. Uh, until next time. All right, enjoy the weekend.